everyone, welcome back to the Extras. My name is Jack. And I'm Rog. Rod, wonderful to be with you here. I don't think I've got to do an Extras episode with you yet, so this is a good time. I think you were on one, I thought it was going to be your debut, but you told me you were on one last year, which I missed when I was on holiday, but here we are, this is great. Yep, number two for me, with That's Sam right. last time. No, Jack? So. Very good. Uh, we're, you know, we're recording today on, you, you, you listeners may be able to hear the sound of the rain in the background, it's obviously been... A very wet couple of weeks uh, all across our nation. Yeah, how's that been for you, Rod? How are you and the family travelling in rain world? Yeah, we're um, we're we're not quite at the stage of, of swimming out the front yet, but mm. um, everything's as wet as it can be, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard stories from some of the people at church who, yeah, doing it tough. Yeah, we appreciate there's some challenges and people going through some difficult times, all that. So yeah, we are we are with you and praying for you. Yeah, uh, we're glad that you've joined in and are keen to grapple with the word as we come to the extras today. We, we've got some questions to get into, but Rod, for those of us who may need a reminder, who were uh, tuning in on Sunday and, and need a reminder, or uh, who weren't there at all, um, can you tell us what were we looking at from the Bible when we were at church last Sunday? Yeah, so we're looking at one of those really fantastic passages, um, Revelation chapter 7, where uh, John uh, has a vision of the church at the end, all of God's people gathered around the throne, um, enjoying just the, the rich, rich blessings of being God's people and saying goodbye to troubles like floods, um, mm. droughts, um, famine, hardship, death, um, and, and what it will be like to be gathered around God's throne to be his people and just to enjoy his presence. And, and uh, so the picture is of, of people who just, who just spontaneously sing praise to God. Um, because they're just overwhelmed with joy and delight at, at the fact that they're in his presence and they've said goodbye to everything bad and it's just everything is joy. Um, so it's a beautiful picture, a really exciting, wonderful picture of, of God's blessing. It's so, yeah, it's such a wonderful passage. I mean, you were preaching North Rocks. We had Raj preaching across the Carlingford services and one of the right, uh, lines that Raj kept saying is, you know, don't you long for this? And yeah. I was thinking, yes, <laughs> come Lord Jesus. How much do we long for that, that wonderful vision? Yeah, can't wait. I'll say it like that. Yeah. We have a few questions that are coming about this, and there's, there's some fascinating details in this passage, and someone's picked up on one of them. Mm. Uh, the question is, I would like the great tribulation in verse uh, 14 of Revelation 7 explained. So I might read that verse for us. Uh, uh, John is saying, you know, I answered, sir, you know, where did the white robe people come from? Uh, and the elder says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The great tribulation, yeah. Rod, what do you think is going on with that? Yeah, um, <laughs> like many things in the book of Revelation, uh, there's, there's question marks here. There's um, mm. depths that I think we won't fully understand until we meet Jesus face to face, and he explains it to us. Um, but I think there's a few clues in the passage which help us. Uh, and the first is that um, that this passage, this vision that John sees, is of the whole church the whole church gathered mm. before the Lord, uh, before the throne and the Lamb, uh, singing His praises, and they're all dressed in white. Um, and so, I think any any understanding of the Great Tribulation that says, "Well, this is just a small part of time, or it's just a small segment of the church," uh, really struggles to fit with this passage because it's talking about the whole church gathered together, and the elder says they've all come out in the Great Tribulation. So, um, I think the the best understanding that I, the best way I can understand this is that um, the Great Tribulation is describing that. The period of time between Jesus' first coming and his return, when uh, when his people are, are being gathered together, but when they suffer opposition, and um, when Satan and his angels, and when the world in opposition to God uh, stands opposed to God's people, um, and so it has this picture there uh, that says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Mm. Um, 
I, I said this on Sunday, but I think this has a sort of a double meaning for us that um, as Christians, we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, meaning our sin is taken away. And, yeah. Um, we're clothed in his righteousness. Um, but I think often in the New Testament, and I think also here, um, it has a sort of double meaning. that it, it doesn't just mean that they've been washed in, in Jesus' sacrifice, but that also we, we've so identified with him um, as his people that we then get caught up in the opposition to him. And so okay. we also uh, suffer with him. So Paul often talks about that, um, uh, this idea that you know, God's people, as God's people, one Peter as well, they suffer for being God's people because the world is opposed to him um, and so that image of um, of the blood of the lamb mm. so the, the sacrifice the suffering also comes on God's people and so it's a time of tribulation yeah. um, and they suffer so washing the blood of the lamb is in washed clean and atoned for and washing the blood of the lamb is in we're swimming in the the rivers that Jesus swam in that yeah. kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah I can pick that up I think that's quite helpful yeah, yeah. I mean it's worth pointing out probably that there'd be you know as in all things Revelation, lots of people have different ideas. Um, there'd be some Christians who do hold to a very particular idea that there's going to be this time in history called the Great Tribulation. And for those of you who are interested, um, there's you know this is a different kind of what we call eschatology, the sort of study of the last things. There are some people who um, would read the book of Revelation and say, oh, there's, there's this thousand years in Revelation 20, and at the end of that there's going to be this particular time of really intense opposition and persecution and that's what they call the great tribulation and it's at that point that Jesus will come back or maybe he'll come back before the tribulation you know even within that view there's lots of little sub views yeah. up there um I find what you've the observation you've made here that really helpful that kind of cuts through all of that that all of the people there have come out of the tribulation I don't think I've noticed that detail before but I think that's really helpful that every single person gathered around the throne is one who's come out of the tribulation so it is just that little three-year period that wouldn't really make sense hey yeah I think yeah. that's quite, I find that quite compelling, yeah. yeah. More broadly in the Bible, I think, you know, you see this kind of thing in um, Matthew 24 when Jesus is talking about the signs of the, mm. the signs of the times when he's going to return and he says, you know, there'll be wars and rumours of wars and earthquakes and famines and, and you, some people throughout history are kind of like, alright, well, let's see if we can pinpoint the time when Jesus is coming back, but I mean, you look at the last 2,000 years and it's mm. all of that, right? I mean, you mm. look at the last week, like we have war in Europe and we have a, a plague that's consumed our world the last two years, and we have floods across half Australia. Like we're, yeah. we're in it, right? Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this and is where we are. Half Australia. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. we're this, these yeah. kinds of these afflictions, these tribulations. That's what marks this age that we're in, and yeah. we're all going to come out of that one day to be gathered around the Lamb and yeah. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, bring that yeah. day on. Absolutely. And maybe just another thing that might be helpful on that is mm. I think um, uh, we can fall into trouble when we read the Book of Revelation as as sequential, everything that happens, you, turn, you read the next sentence and that something comes after that and the next paragraph happens after that. And so all the things that it's describing uh, are one thing after another. Um, mm. uh, we're in Revelation 7 and we're looking at the end. Um, yeah. And then there's a whole, how many, 14 more chapters. So uh, I don't think that, it, I don't think it's designed to be read, read that way. Mm. Um, I think it's more likely a case that um, what we're seeing in the book of Revelation is sort of just different perspectives on the same series of things that are happening. Yeah. Um, which show us how all of history works. All of history is a time when Satan, his enemy armies, and, and the, the world in opposition to God um, fights against the rule of, of the Lamb. Mm. Um, but God is working through all of history to bring these people, his church, around his throne safely to his home. And so he is, from our perspective, it looks like these beastly kingdoms, it looks like opposition, it feels like tribulation, it's suffering mm. and pain. 
Um, but actually, God knows what he's doing and he's bringing everything to this conclusion. And um, so we have all these different perspectives on the different things that are going on. Um, and uh, so you know, we, we, we might look at our bit of history and say, well, this is this bit. But actually, even just in history, you could, right now in Australia, we have a very different experience than we would in Yugoslavia or in um, North Korea. And so yeah. You know, yeah, we, we, we try and sort of place ourselves in the story and say, well, if it's a sequence, where are we in the sequence? We can get into all kinds of trouble. Mm. But um, I think it's more designed to give us this, this con- to, to, to recognise our experience. The world is suffering and pain, and we experience the world in opposition to God means God's people suffer. Um, but to give us confidence that through all those things, God's still reigning, and yeah. he's, he's actually working to a plan, and it's a good plan. Um, and so one of these that I love in... Um, in Revelation 7, is that at the end, um, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You have this sense um, here in Revelation 21 um, that in heaven, there's no there's no death or crying, there's no mourning. I yeah. love that picture because mourning is the pain that lasts after the pain that happened to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so this bad thing happened before, and I'm still hurting now, and, and when I think about it, it's just like it happened to me just yesterday. I still yeah. feel the pain. Um, but in heaven, it won't be like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so glorious that even the really hard things somehow um, uh, give us joy. We look back and we just... God was doing something so wonderful that even the pain is gone and he wipes away the tears and we just want to sing for joy. It's just so wonderful. Bring it on, I say. Yeah. That's probably a good segue into our next question. So someone else has texted in, does longing for the future also mean longing and looking forward to death? Mm, Yeah, and it's a really interesting question, isn't it? really quite important, I think, for us to separate those two things out. Um, so in the Bible, uh, death is our enemy. Mm. Uh, before the fall, there was no death. Death comes as a consequence of sin. Uh, we see Jesus before the, to- the, throne, uh, the tomb of Lazarus crying out in, in mm. tears. You know, yeah, it, death it, is wrong. It's wrong, and mm. it's, it's horrible. Um, uh, it it's, you know, destroys all manner of things. And the end of all things is the end of death. Mm. Um, death itself is put to death. That's Jesus' victory. It's victory over death and all things evil. Um, yeah. So we don't look forward to death, but in God's wonderful grace, lots of bad things actually produce good things or give way to good things. And, mm. and death is like the ultimate illustration of that, isn't it? That um, yeah. we go through death to come into all these wonderful blessings that we read about in Revelation chapter 7. So um, the Bible often talks about it so it almost sort of treads this fine line between saying um, we don't look forward to death but we look forward to what comes after death so yeah uh, an, an image that I found very potent is, is um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where Paul talks about how he's longing to put off this present body which he says is like a tent mm. and to come into the home the the, the, the permanent body that, that God is providing for him yeah when we came over from England, we um, actually spent three months living in a tent in my brother's back garden. And, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And there's a very real sense that it's temporary. <laughs> it's not going to last. You, and you really hope it's not going to last. You You're want, longing for that yeah. permanent home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, um, and yeah, that's, what our, that's what our body, that's what this life that we live at the moment is. It's this temporary, mm. time-bound thing. And then the body breaks down, we get old, um, it gets harder and harder. Uh, when we get to heaven, all that is forgotten, and yeah. we have that permanent home. And so we're not looking forward to death. Um, death is quite a scary thought, but death has lost its sting because mm. we know that beyond death is this great, glorious, wonderful 
life that's much better than anything we could have now. Yeah, helpful, yeah. Another thing that I think of is Philippians chapter 1. Paul's in prison. He's not sure what his future is. Is he about to be put to death? And he says those famous words, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that sounds like he's saying, oh, death would be a great thing. And he sort of says that, in a sense, you know, he's torn between the two. He desires to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Like, being with Jesus would be the best. So he, he does long for that. And yet, he goes on to say, but it's more necessary for you, for you Philippians that I remain in the body and convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So in Paul's mind, the idea of going to be with Jesus is just the best sort of all, but he also knows that Jesus put him in the world to do good and to preach the gospel and to be there and care for this church. So uh, he, he wants to remain, even if it's harder for him, for the sake of the people who he's serving. So there's, there's, there's good things for us to do in this world, even though long, you know, Going to be with Jesus—that's that's where we're going. That's what we long for. Yeah, but I think I think what you said is helpful. Yeah, we don't we don't long for death. We long for. I mean, really, we long for the world without death. That's mm. what we're longing for yeah. ultimately, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also important to say that you may be listening to this, and for some of you out there in our church, you may be facing real mental health struggles, real concerns in this area, and uh, there may be some of you who are genuinely longing for death, uh, and that can be a, a a terrible and a dark place to be. We want you to know that that's that's something that we as a church care about deeply, and we would really encourage you to, to talk to someone you trust, maybe talk to a growth group leader, reach out to us as one of the pastors. Uh, if you are really concerned for yourself, let me encourage you to call Lifeline, call 131114. Uh, please reach out to someone, reach out for help. We, 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 we take that seriously and we'd really encourage you to, to do that if you need to. And I wonder if I could just even add just one other thing. Um, mm. uh, I, I mentioned this on my sermon on, on Sunday. Back in Revelation chapter 7 where it talks about they've come from the great tribulation. You know, God's mm. people suffer in this world it's hard and it's horrible um, God's not unaware of that yeah uh, but actually one of the one of the things I think when we ref, when we think about what it will be like in heaven when we've left all that behind um, I think the Bible pushes us in this direction as well that actually heaven will be better for mm. having experienced suffering now um, yeah that um, you know if we've gone straight from the garden Adam and Eve in the garden didn't appreciate the garden that's why they reached out for the apple they wanted the fruit they wanted more um, and we don't appreciate what we've got now or the good things that we've got we take for granted until they're taken from us and I think yeah. one of the things that will be wonderful about heaven is that um, having experienced suffering will appreciate mm. that so much more and in the Bible when we're suffering verses like Romans 8 28 can be really painful when people sort of quote at us well all things work out for good so stop fretting yeah. um, don't feel pain but actually in Romans 8 Paul's very intensely aware of pain mm. um, but he writes that as an encouragement to us that actually even our pain is somehow part of God's good plan. He's going to use it to bless us, and and we'll be will be more joyful in heaven for having experienced difficulty, struggle, pain now. And so, uh, when we when we're in those situations where we're longing for death, um, and we're we're tempted to do something about that longing, um, I think we we need to be reminded and encouraged that actually God's not made a mistake in putting you in that situation that you're in now, and actually God is doing something good even through that situation however impossible to believe that mm. might be um, but he is good he loves us and yeah. the picture in Revelation 7 is of that father that scoops us up in his arms and he wipes the tears from our eyes and as fathers ourselves we know what that is it's mm. when, when you're doing that you, you, sort of, you, you put your arms around your child and you're trying to say I love you I've got you I, I, know, I don't want anything bad to happen to you um, and that's the picture that the Bible pictures of God with us he does love us like that he doesn't want anything bad to happen to us yeah. But what bad does happen to us, he uses it 
for good because he loves us so much. And it would be so sweet to meet him as that father who takes us into our, his arms and, and wipes the tears from our eyes. Yeah. And it'll be sweeter for having tears, for having suffered. Um, I appreciate it all the more. Yeah, that's quite a beautiful thought. Yeah, that's helpful. Last question today. Uh, this isn't directly about revelation, uh, but we have been talking a lot about generosity, about uh, pledging and giving an indication uh, about what your plans are for, for giving to church in the year ahead. Someone's asked, what would you say to those who are already sacrificially giving of time and money and resources? Are you breaking them and their desire to serve, guilting them into more? Their desire might be there, but resources are few and they're already dependent on God for, for provisions. How can people like that contribute more with Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Mm. Rob, what would you have to say? I think the first thing we want to say is thank you so much. Um, if you're sacrificially giving, that's wonderful. That's mm. exactly what um, what the Bible challenges and encourages us to do, and that's what we want. Um, and if uh, if you're feeling pressured by guilt to give, um, I'd want to say, sorry, that's not our intention at all. Um, mm. We don't want people to give out of out of guilt. We don't want feel, people to feel compelled to give. Um, yeah. Uh, it is really difficult to tread the fine lines, um, mm. and you see it. So, so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is a good example where Paul does it in Philippians chapter 4. Um, it's really difficult to tread the fine lines of saying, <coughs> we want you to give, and we know that it's really good for you, mm. and so we, we, and we know that it's really hard, and so you need to be encouraged, <laughs> you need to be challenged. So you know, the pastors who are preaching in church, we're not, we're not sin-free. We know how much we cling on to stuff. Mm. Uh, we know how hard it is uh, to give, and how... how even quite small sacrifices feel like massive sacrifices when we're making them, um, but they don't seem so good when big when someone else is making it, perhaps. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we, we know how difficult it is to give. The Bible knows how difficult it is to give. Um, and so uh, t- 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, you see Paul there holding up somebody else who's been very generous. Uh, he, he's writing to a rich church, and he talks about the Philippians, the, the, the Macedonians who are very poor and who are suffering terribly. And, and he says, out of there... Uh, their their terrible suffering and their extreme poverty it wells up into great generosity and he holds that up as a great example this is how it should be Um, Mm. God's at work among them look how wonderfully God's working Uh, and then he 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 gently but firmly uh, pushes the Corinthians to say you guys are rich but you're not giving Um, Mm. not like that and you should be uh, but he always holds back from from pushing the guilt on them. Yeah. Um, and and he, he comes to the end and he says, well, what I really want is um, is for you to be blessed. And again, he does a very similar thing in Philippians chapter 4. He's talking to Philippians who have been giving. And he says, I'm really grateful that you've given. Mm. Um, I didn't need it because God's looking after me. And I know what it is to be in poverty. I can live in poverty yeah. and I can live in riches because God gives me strength. Um, mm. But he says, I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. Um, so as they give, um, they're giving money now and they're getting credit with God. Mm. Um, and, and Paul knows that's much better than having money now. And yeah. so he rejoices. He rejoices that their generosity is helping him, but he rejoices even more that their generosity is helping them. And that's, what we, that's, that's the fine line that we're trying to tread and that's what we're trying to say um, when we talk about giving in church. Church has a budget. We all get paid out of it. We we know that church needs money, um, mm. but God can provide that money even if nobody else does. Um, but if we're sitting here fairly comfortably, most of us in our fairly comfortable lives, um, holding on to the money that God has given us to use for His kingdom, um, we're being impoverished by not being generous. Um, so what we're what we're trying to to follow Paul in, what we're trying to to follow Jesus in, is is to be hearing the challenge and, and saying it accurately that uh, that 
our grasping of stuff is the thing that really impoverishes us mm. and, and giving it generously is the thing that makes us rich. Um, rich now in joy in God's provision um, and rich in heaven in, mm. in God's great blessings to us. Yeah, like a double blessing there. Yeah. 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 Only the thing to add, I think, is just to say at St. Paul's at the moment, I hope no one's hearing us speaking in this like monolithic way as if the message is just, you know, every single one of us, the goal is like double your giving now. Like, we're not saying that there's just like a one-size-fits-all thing here because there are some among you who we know are, are generous and, and seriously sacrificially generous and we thank God for you and that's a wonderful yeah. thing. And even those of us who are generous, there's, I think, a call to continue growing in the grace of giving, but that may be a really incremental thing which is very different to someone, maybe you've just become a Christian and you've never given before, and so it's uh, the call to, to consider starting. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, uh, what we're encouraging everyone to do is to, to reconsider, to, to prayerfully, again, examine what you're doing with the wealth God's given to you and thinking about how to be generous with it. And we're not trying to like legislate anything to, to bind your conscience and guilt trip anyone. That's, that's not the goal. Our, our encouragement is to, to consider and to pray and to think about it, and uh, we're, we're trying to provide a framework for that and, and ways to go about it, but yeah, the goal is not guilt, absolutely. The goal is, yeah, cheerful generosity in service of the wonderful gospel vision that yeah. we're seeking to, to make our, our, our heart. That's yeah. what we're on about, yeah. yeah. We hope that's been helpful for you. That's our, our three questions for today, and they're good ones, aren't they? They're, they're wonderful things for us to be able to wrestle through together. So, Jack... We finished Vision Month? We finished Vision Month, yeah, the, the six weeks or so of it, yes. Uh, in the, the, the next little while, we are coming to a new series starting Sunday. Uh, I am going to be preaching on one side of the church. I can't even, I don't actually know which yet. Peter and I are meeting in sort of five minutes to work out who's doing what. But anyway, um, we're coming to the book of Jonah. Uh, we're coming to this wonderful tale of uh, the man overboard, swallowed by the fish. I'm sure you... You, you remember it, uh, you know, it's a classic Sunday school tale that many of you have uh, grown up with, and, and some may be coming to the first time, but, you know, you hear Jonah, you think fish, that's where most of us go. Uh, what many of us don't remember or haven't ever got into necessarily is, what is the story about? Uh, and uh, it's a story that plunges us into the depths, not of the sea like Jonah did, but into the depths of God's grace and compassion. Uh, we're going to see this wonderful picture of a God who would lavish His mercy, even on the people who seem to deserve it least. Uh, that, that exposes all kinds of things about our own hearts. That's what the Book of Jonah is meant to do. That's what we're getting into come Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's mm. going to be great. Can't wait. Yeah, so we'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we will catch you later. Bye-bye for now. See you later.